thank you so much, Kara, for coming on to She Leads. I am so, so excited to get to know you, hear your story, and just talk to you more. So thank you for coming. Yeah, absolutely. So Kara, you are the founder of Hint. It's a healthy, com- a healthy lifestyle company best known for Hint Water, which is very good for whoever hasn't tried it. And beyond even Hint, you're also a keynote speaker for top executives, top companies like Google, LinkedIn, Oracle, the list goes on. And even beyond that, you've also received so many accolades, including Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business and Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs. So I can't think of a better guest to have on She Leads, and I'm just so Oh, honest. that's so nice. Thank you. Yeah. So first, I obviously want to hear the founding, the story behind Hint. Because especially, I know you worked at AOL leading the e-commerce business and you did sales at CNN. So did you have that, did you always have that entrepreneurial itch or did you know you wanted to start something eventually or just how did it come about? Yeah, so I never really knew that I, you know, I, I wasn't the type of entrepreneur. Um, I've met people today who have said, oh, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never really like actually said that. But now when I look back, it's so much easier to say, of course, I was ultimately, you know, going to do what I'm not necessarily a beverage company or a healthy lifestyle company, but something, you know, that was disruptive, something that was new and and different. Because I think that the key thing for me was I was just always curious, like ever since I was a little kid and you know, I was never afraid of failure. I was actually an athlete as well. I was a gymnast and, uh, and I just, uh, you know, I was always like, you know, going out and trying things and, and seeing what would happen. And you mentioned I, I was at AOL prior to starting Hint. And I think for me, I, it was, uh, you know, I had never really uh, grown up thinking that I would run a beverage company or a CPG company. It was a, after AOL and I had left, I had, uh, I'd had a few kids and I, I actually was pregnant with my third child. Um, when I started to really think about Hint, but didn't really think about it until I was trying to get healthy. And I was taking a couple of years off in between Hint and, and, or in between AOL and Hint. And I was, uh, you know, I sort of look back and laugh at it. And I think probably some people relate to this, that I knew how to work out and sort of get myself back in shape. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, running and exercising and eating right. But this store, I mean, this was, you know, a little over 15 years ago had, you know, cropped up in, in San Francisco where I lived at the time and it was called Whole Foods. And so I thought if I start shopping at Whole Foods and I'm like working out every day, then I'm going to get healthy. And it's all just poof, you know, going to be magic and I'm going to be healthy. And what I realized is that there were just so many things inside the, the store that were not, you know, not everything is healthy, right? In the, in the stores. And it was, and so for me, I started, you know, reading labels. That was really kind of the original time when I started like, okay, I need to be a little careful, you know, maybe organic sugar is better than regular sugar, but, you know, I just still need to like really pay attention to what these words are that, and what these ingredients are that I'm, that I'm ultimately consuming. And so the, uh, what I figured out was that I had had 
through these pregnancies, I had gained a bunch of weight. I had, um, I never had a problem like losing weight over the years, but I'd also developed terrible adult acne, which I never even had as a teenager. And lots of like my energy levels were down and I wasn't sleeping right, all these things. And so I really assumed that it was because of something I was eating or something, or I wasn't working out enough or something. And then one day I was looking at, you know, one of my favorite things that, again, I had sort of given a pass to it, not really even thinking that it was, you know, any problem with it at all. And I thought it was relatively healthy, a product called Diet Coke. And I used to drink, you know, lots of Diet Coke while I was training, you know, growing up, I, you know, grew up in Arizona, I should have been drinking a lot more water, but I wasn't drinking water, I was just drinking Diet Coke. And I was drinking between like eight and 12 a day, which sounds like, it was a lot, but it sounds totally crazy. I mean, the Coke people have told me that, you know, I was a, uh, I was definitely a big user of the product, but it wasn't totally unheard of, right? And so I didn't understand all of the ingredients in, you know, the in Diet Coke. And so I thought maybe I should just put this to the side for now and see if I can, you know, just stop drinking it and see if there's any change. Never did I think that that was really going to be the core of what my issue was. And so I, you know, threw it in the garbage. I didn't go down to drinking like one a day or anything because I thought I'll just miss it too much. So I'm just going to go cold turkey and not drink it. And the and those first like that first week was really hard. I'm not going to lie. Like it was like I wanted it so bad, and I'm like, no, I've just got to say no and you know, the athlete in me was like, I've got to focus, I'm going to be really grumpy about it, but I've just like got to focus and not do it. And so once I got through week, two, week one, then week two, I, I started seeing that my skin was clearing up, my energy levels were clearing up, and um, my clothes were fitting differently. And so I ended up jumping on the scale and saw that I had lost in two and a half weeks, I had lost 24 pounds, yeah. and which was nuts. And, you know, ultimately in six months of sort of living this way, I'd given up Diet Coke altogether. Um, I realized a lot of other things that I used to like have a Diet Coke and then two hours later, I'd be super hungry for like a piece of candy or a piece of gum or something. I, it was constantly getting me to crave other things. And so while I wasn't eating like, you know, 10 cupcakes a day, my, you know, insulin was probably, you know, really being challenged. And ultimately, you know, I always tell people now, the more I know about, you know, the, the body and sort of your organs, it's like, you know, maybe I learned it when I was a kid growing up, I wasn't a science major, but mm -hmm. I, you know, felt like I was suddenly, you know, the fact that I was breaking out and that I was having this issue was like my body actually telling me through the lar largest organ that there was a problem, right? So, um, so I started, like I spent, you know, the next year, right? After six months, like I said, I lost 55 pounds, my skin issues were gone, you know, and that's a lot of weight. Like people were really noticing, like, they're like, are you okay? you know, wow, you look like a totally different person. And I would tell people like I had given up this diet soda. And I started to really think about the fact that even if it wasn't diet soda, maybe it was, you know, like a, 
I don't know, maybe it was a low fat yogurt or maybe it was a, um, you know, vitamin water, or I started thinking about all of these words mm -hmm. that as consumers, we have to make decisions on and potentially purchase these products or consume these products or whatever. And I thought, you know, it's really pretty crazy how we're marketed to and people buy diet. They buy you know, vitamin, they buy all of these things, assuming that they're going to get health from it. And, and in many cases, they're willing to pay more, you know, for those products, because yeah. they're, they're like, oh, they're better for me, like, everything's great. And, you know, I just, again, maybe I just had too much time on my hands, because I wasn't, you know, working at AOL anymore. But I just thought, like, that's just really sad. You know, when, when somebody's trying really hard to change their health, and you know, do something better for themselves or for their family. Like it's just, it just shouldn't be that hard. Right. And then I started looking at my own life around, you know, how I should have been drinking a lot more water. I knew water was better for me and I aspired to drink water, but I just never did it. Like if somebody handed me, you know, a bottle of water, maybe I would drink a few sips and then I'd put it to the side and, you know, I wouldn't sit there and focus on drinking all the water all the time. And so I had gotten to a point where I was drinking, you know, eight plus water glasses of water a day, but I was practically lining them up on the counter, you know, making sure that every night before I went to bed, I drank this water and sort of a weird, you know, it just wasn't sustainable. Like I just thought this is not going to be able to be the rest of my life. And so I started, I thought, what's going to make me drink more water? And I had a bunch of fruit on the counter. So I sliced up the fruit, I threw it in the water mm -hmm. and I thought, Oh, it gives me the taste of water. And then, you know, I would put it in my, you know, thermos, my, you know, SIG bottle at the time. And, and, you know, people would say, Oh, what's in your water today? And I'd be like, Oh, it's pomegranate and raspberry. And, you know, and, and so people were like, Oh, wow, that's awesome. And, and, you know, I didn't even know that it didn't have any calories. Like that wasn't my focus. My focus was to get me to drink water and make water better tasting yeah. so that I would consume more water. And then I realized I was actually interviewing for a few tech jobs and I was, uh, you know, looking at Google and Yahoo and a few others that were out there at the time. And the key reason why I didn't sort of take a role there, I lived in San Francisco and I had these young kids and I thought, to commute down to Palo Alto or Mountain View every single day is like a lot. And I just didn't want to do it. I had come off of a, you know, role at AOL where we were actually based in, in Washington. So I commuted on the plane and it's just a lot. Like I just, you know, I had a family now. I just didn't really want to be gone that much. And I thought, I don't want to be in a car. And I mean, at that time, commuting from San Francisco to Palo Alto was maybe a half hour, 45 minutes. Now, you know, way more and sort of crazy traffic. But so for me, I, I really thought, you know, also the fact that I never really viewed myself as, you know, a tech executive. I think people did because I was there for seven years. Yeah. But before that, I mean, I had started my career in media. I had actually, um, I'd been at, at Time, which, you know, was considered a print publication, but I, I didn't even, I wasn't on the editorial side. I was on the circulation side, so it was very, 
you know, analytical and based on consumer, you know, needs and subscriptions and stuff like that. So, and then I went on to CNN and sort of did something totally different there. And then also did ad sales as well. But I felt like, you know, people were defining me for like, for going they're, they're like oh you've spent all this you know you did awesome in tech and you should go do tech again and i thought if i only have you know i don't know one or two more gigs in me maybe i have six more gigs in me do yeah. i just want to do tech or have i done tech and why can't i go and do some other things and use my skills that i've you know taught and so for me there was like I had sort of solved that puzzle in my head saying I might want to do something else besides doing AOL 2.0. And then when I was like, I'd get up every single morning and think about, you know, this water concept. And I, and I kept thinking that if I could actually get people to enjoy water again, then, you know, I could do a lot. Like I could change people's, you know, I could change people in the U S health and, you know, and maybe in the world, like we get people to enjoy water again, instead of, you know, trying to, um, you know, trick themselves into, you know, these products just in order to, to try and get healthy. And so that was kind of the, the thinking of it. But then, you know, ultimately, I went back to my Whole Foods in San Francisco and sort of, you know, felt, felt like I was educating people too, about what I had found. And then people thought it was interesting. I mean, people, like it was the merchandiser stocking the shelves at Whole Foods. And, you know, nobody, I knew everybody like in tech, I really just didn't know people in this like industry. And most of my friends were working while I was taking some time off too. And, and so that's when I thought, like people are actually listening to me and I don't really like, especially then, you know, when I, I had just zero experience, I didn't know how to launch a beverage. I didn't really like, I conceptualized that I was doing something better, but I didn't really understand. I knew what had happened to me when I gave up diet sweeteners, but you know, I know a lot more now about sort of the dangers around it and, you know, and how, you know, the, the, decks are really stacked against people who have sort of gotten addicted, you know, to whether it's sugar or diet sweeteners. And, and so I thought if I can do that, even if it sits in my pantry and I don't do like anything else, like with it, I'll be, it's just, it's going to satisfy my curiosity to, to launch a product and try and get it on the market and, you know, I wrote a little mini business plan for it, but, you know, I can't say that I even slightly knew what I was doing and, um, and ended up finding out when I decided to launch this beverage, I, I was pregnant with uh, my son, Justin. And so, you know, people are always asking me, like, how did you know when to launch it ultimately? And I was, I was pregnant and I was having a C-section uh, that day. And so I, I had just gotten the product like the day before and I thought, Oh, it'd be so great to sort of like at least close that chapter and try and get it on the shelf. And I'd be, you know, it was a goal. Like it was like, can I do that? And, you know, I ended up getting it on the shelf at Whole Foods. I, I sort of dropped the product. My husband came with me to drop it because he was like, you were insane. Like you're having a baby this afternoon. And, I ended up educating the guy at Whole Foods about what a planned C-section is and told him it'd make me feel really great, like going into labor if, 
if uh, he actually put it on the shelf. And so, I, I mean, it was just, I had no idea whether it was going to work or not. And then, you know, today we're the largest independent non-alcoholic beverage in the country that doesn't have a relationship with Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper Snapple. So oh, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty big. So, yeah. That's amazing. So that's the backstory on so it. That's such a, that's such a crazy story. And so I'm interested because once you stopped drinking Diet Coke and you just cut cold turkey, which already is definitely not a trait and like not an easy thing for people to do. Um, yeah. And then you started experimenting yourself because you realized, okay, water won't do it. Like I don't want to just drink water the rest of my life. Um, but like a lot of people have these ideas, but they don't like get started. Like, for instance, if people discovered that putting fruit in their water, like most people I would say would just continue doing that and they wouldn't think, okay, this could be something and this I want to share with other people. So like what were those like first steps you took that really got you started and like how do kind of almost advice for people to get started? I mean, I think that the faster you can sort of like just get something on the shelf. I mean, obviously, in the case of beverages, you have to make sure that it's safe for the consumer, right? And that it tastes good. But I always tell people that until you actually get a consumer's reaction, like I've never been a huge believer in focus groups, Mm. because I feel like they're, you know, even if you invite people in, and you don't sort of give them any clues that they may hear other people talking, and they don't make their own decisions as compared to you know, if consumers are actually purchasing with their money yeah. or, you know, in the case of like, we're the largest beverage at Google and Facebook and lots of other companies, they're, you know, people are actually making a decision about what they're going to be pulling off the shelf, right? And so it, I feel like, you know, you need to get a product on the shelf mm. as quick as possible and that you're you're never, it's never going to be perfect or it shouldn't be perfect. You should just get it out and just go try it. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say like how much money you should spend, um, too, because I think that that just varies by category. But I think that the key thing is, is, you know, figuring out what you can afford to spend Mm. and, you know, doing it in a way where you're still going to be able to, you know, be alive, right? Afterwards, that this is like, you know, I always tell people, my, my dad was, um, my dad worked for a company called ConAgra, um, actually originally Armor Food Company, which became ConAgra, and he was the developer of a product called Healthy Choice. Okay. And so I, you know, always think back, I used to say as a kid, you know, a rotten kid, like I would be like, why don't you just go launch your own company? And, mm. you know, for him, he was a, you know, he was a entrepreneur that really, you know, felt like he had responsibility. And so he was, you know, we, he had five kids and, you know, they all had, we were all athletes and yeah. there were costs to being an athlete and all these things. And so, you know, he really couldn't afford to go and yeah. be an entrepreneur by the decide, by the time he decided to do it. So, you know, I always tell people like, you know, you just, you plan if your idea is like, you've got an idea, don't be in such a hurry to get it on the market. Mm -hmm. Like instead just try and figure out like what baby steps could I use in order to get it on the market? I think like that's such a key thing for, you know, telling for, you know, sharing with entrepreneurs. But again, like, I think that there's so many people that 
that I, I have this theory, like the more educated you are too, the harder, you know, it is to actually launch something because mm-hmm. you feel like there's never a good time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you feel like you're not prepared and you can't get out of the gate. And so the number of people even who I've met who have been, you know, gone, gotten their MBA mm-hmm. and have this amazing experience, they're, they're, you know, terrified of sort of actually, you know, ultimately terrified of failure. So if you're afraid of failure, I think that that's something that, you know, you've got to sort of get to the root of why you're not okay with ultimately launching something, you know, you've got to make a plan. So do you, is your plan, okay, I've got to figure out how to save, it's going to, my plan's going to take me this much money to sort of get it out of the gate. Um, You know, when I hear entrepreneurs say, oh, it's going to take me, whatever, like a few hundred thousand dollars in order to, to get it out of the gate. I'm like, so, you know, do you know how you're going to spend all that money? Mm. And when people say things like, Oh, well this much in marketing and this much. in, it's like, no, like how much are you really going to spend? Mm. Like how much do you need to spend? I mean, do you need to do marketing when you're getting your product out of the gate and, you know, having and running like the consumer test. And I think it just varies by category, but to, in today's day and age, I mean, the more that, you know, you can launch a product online today. I mean, mm-hmm. 15 years ago, you couldn't launch a beverage or nobody was launching beverages online. So yeah. it's a very different, you know, world. And I think in many ways, more of an opportunistic world where you can actually, I mean, you can go start a, you know, great Instagram account or, you know, plug yeah. in any other social media into into that you know analogy but and if you're just if you're really great at sort of like articulating your brand I mean it's a very cheap way you don't have to run advertising on Facebook yet in order to get a gauge as to what this consumer you know thinks about your your idea or your product right so I think that that's the key thing but I, I don't know. I think it's it's also just figuring out, you know, what is it at the core that you're afraid of? Mm-hmm. I mean, are you afraid of failure, which I think a lot of people are. And, you know, and and but I always felt like it it was just I don't know, I was I was always curious. I was always just going and trying things and I think it was also you know, I tell people all the time all of all five of us kids were athletes. We mm-hmm. were not, you know, necessarily the you know, sort of at each other's like level and stuff. There were varying levels, but we all had a different sport. Mm. And then we all like, you know, talk to each other about our sports. And this is the way it works here, whether it was football or baseball or swimming or gymnastics or whatever. And so it's, I think it was like the, the curiosity, but also that we just all always just knew that we were always like doing something like health for me was always super important. I had sort of, when I started working, I just couldn't really find the time Mm. to kind of focus on that. But I, you know, looking back now, I think that it was always in there somewhere, but I think that the curiosity and, you know, just telling people to go out and try it. I think even if it fails, I mean, the number of entrepreneurs that I talked to today that, you know, have had a failed startup. I mean, I think it's like, it's okay. I mean, again, like, are you going to be able to recover from it? What did you learn? Um, All of those kind of things. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's such so many valuable takeaways just from that. And particularly, 
I think it's so true. I think people are wait, just want it to be perfect and they're waiting for it to be perfect and it's they're never really satisfied to release it for other people to see because they don't think it's perfect. Or And then talking about failure, it's honestly been a common theme that I've had with other speakers and how it's so important to have this, how the failure is like our own mental model. So it's how we perceive it. So like if we view it as something that is a learning opportunity, then that's ultimately, that's great. And then we'll be more open to taking risks. So I think it's definitely important. Yeah, it's huge. And I think that, you know, if you don't go and start something, then you'll never know, yeah. right? I think the number of people I talk to later on in life thinking, oh, I had this idea, I should have launched it. Yeah. And I think like, gosh, so you're just, you know, bitter, like for the last like six years doing something that you didn't really want to do. And, yeah. you know, I just think it's sad. It's just if you are a huge believer that, you know, you've got one life to live and you've got to, you know, go and make the best of it. And I think that, you know, you've got to, you've got to figure out how to do that. Yeah. And entrepreneurship also isn't for everyone, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've also talked to people who have said, oh, you know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, why? Like, there's ways or ways to make money. And, you know, you don't, it sounds super glamorous. I mean, being a college athlete sounds really glamorous, right? I'm sure, you know, you have many stories along the way where like, yeah, it sounds cool. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of travel, there's, you know, a lot of stuff you miss, like, you know, there, it's the same with entrepreneurism. I mean, you, especially, you know, when you're leading a company too, it's like, you're, you know, there it's it's lonely at the top at times, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have like a whole team to rely on. You're the one that's like making sure you have enough money in the bank to pay your employees, yeah. and you know, make sure that uh, Whole Foods doesn't kick you out of there or, or whatever it is. Like, I think that there's just there's it's a lifestyle choice. It's incredibly rewarding when it yeah. goes right, but it's also you know not for everybody. It's not this you know like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. It's like, great. There's, there's like some challenges and downsides to it as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And I can, yeah, I could definitely agree with the college athlete aspect because I think it's true. I think people think it's this incredible thing and it is, and it's one of the most rewarding things ever, but I think definitely there's 100% adversity that you face and challenges. And that's just, that's just life though. I think you just learn from it and have to get back up, but I can see parallels with entrepreneurship for sure. So totally. So I'd love to talk. I'd love to get your insight on being on being a female founder, and just how has it been? Also, like in the founding stages as a female leader at an amazing company, and then also like in finding venture was that challenging as a female? And like, who have you have you had people in your corner to lean on? Just general, a female founder, any insight? Yeah. So. Early on, my husband actually joined me. He's an he's an attorney. He was an attorney at a tech company called Netscape um, early on. And while I was at AOL, he was there. And anyway, he, um, you know, I think he thought it was crazy that I was launching this beverage company. And, you know, we had four kids under the age of six at the time. And so it was just, it was sort of nutty. And so he was actually taking a break. We were redoing a house in San Francisco. So he was helping me deliver cases and that's when he was like, wait, what are you doing? Like he was super curious and, you know, felt sorry for me and I needed somebody when I was taking cases to, 
the stores. I needed somebody to stay mm. in the car with the kids while they're in their car seats. And so he'd, wow. you know, stay in the car or he'd go in and, you know, he ended up ultimately, you know, saying like, Hey, maybe I should just like work for you and, and do this for a while or do this until I have another job or whatever. I was like, okay, that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah. But, um, but he, um, so he joined me and, you know, I, I always tell people like early on, I mean, people would say to us like, you know, husband and wife team, how can people, you know, how can you guys work together? Like, all, like this is going to fail because you guys are working together. And, you know, I think now more and more people talk about husband and wife teams that it's actually like, you know, it, it's been a super great thing and somebody to really rely on. And also somebody, you know, as my kids were growing up too, when we felt like one of our kids needed us more than the other for stuff that there was going to be one of us saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, do it versus like, you know, I hear a lot of people who are couples and they're both working parents and they're like, well, this per, you know, my husband felt like his job was more important than mine mm. or, you know, and, and so there's a lot of sacrifices like that way. And we never really had that. Instead, it was like, oh, okay, you know, we trade off on going to, you know, games or performances, like all of yeah. that kind of stuff. But I also feel like, you know, the other thing that being an entrepreneur allowed us was like, we could create our own schedule. Mm. And so there was no, you know, we were able to early on, like start you know, I'd start work like way early, even before my kids would get up. And, you know, we had a nanny who would be in there in the morning, but she wasn't going to stay all day. So I'd sort of figure out, okay, I've got this amount of time to go and work. But then, you know, if something came up, if the kids were sick or something, it was pretty easy for me to adjust things and, and, um, which, which was amazing. Um, but I feel like, yeah, like, I think that it was, those were kind of the things early on that I learned about, you know, being an entrepreneur that I, that I super loved. And, um, in terms of funding, I mean, we funded the company the first couple of years, we had sort of, um, had some savings and, mm -hmm. and from both of our careers. And, you know, I sort of wanted to use that savings to actually go and, and start this company. I, I kept thinking that I was maybe, um, going to go to business school yeah. and, you know, maybe even like, you know, use that money to go to business school. But I also felt like if I go and, you know, start this, I'm going to learn so much along the way that I always, you know, laugh that it was like my MBA in beverages and, <laughs> and sort of learning everything from how to make the product uh, distribution and, you know, how to build a company overall. And so, but friends were always saying to us, like, hey, when you guys are doing a friends and family round, we'd love to invest, like, you know, 25000 50000 I mean, it was, you know, and I, early on, I didn't really want to take that money because I felt like I still wanted, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, mm -hmm. I, I really, I mean, I, I didn't even know how to make this product. You know, my husband was super instrumental in sort of the, the, you know, actually helping to create the product, mm -hmm. um, ultimately with no preservatives in it. But the two of us were, you know, every day just kind of racking our brains together, trying to figure out how to create this product. We, you know, would deliver it to Whole Foods, you know, either alone or together or whatever. And, you know, we would limit how much we would actually deliver to Whole Foods. We tell them like, oh, we're out of, we just don't have any more of that flavor. And the reality is, is like, 
we were still trying to figure out how to make it and not just mm. actually make it, but get it, you know, shelf stable. Like we, we were not sure whether or not we had a totally shelf stable product because we weren't using preservatives. Mm. Um, you know, we used real fruit. So there were, there were just so many like learnings along the way. Mm. And so finally we ended up having this family office. We had one of our investors who was one of our, um, distributors, early distributors that we were talking to that was, um, we had sort of built the company in San Francisco and then we decided, um, to go out to New York and Boston, New York where my husband's friend from to try and see if like, we just had a San Francisco brand that were people were going to buy, or was this one that would actually work on both coasts? Mm. And so, um, so we found a distributor in New York and, you know, it was just, we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, we were just like, oh, once we launch it and we have a distributor, it'll be great. Like I always tell people now, like, you know, I, I learned early on that you really have to have people, your own people to kind of yeah. manage it and get it out there and, you know, continue to babysit it. And, you know, even still today, I mean, there's, there's, I have an amazing team of, you know, 200 people that work for the company, but I think, I can still walk into a sales meeting and, you know, and sell this. Like I, I'm still very hands-on with the product. I just don't do it as much, but I, I can do it. I can still go and make this product. Like I, all along the way, you know, I was wanting to learn those things and I would never hand it off any part of this, um, you know, to somebody else to do anyway. But, um, so when we got out to the East coast, one of our distributors, uh, introduced us to somebody, a family office out of Brussels that was the Stella beer family. Mm. And they were really, you know, they were seriously approaching us, trying to make sure that, um, or wanting to see if we would take an investment from them. And we just thought it was like, I mean, I love Stella beer. I have like loved it forever. And I just thought, wow, like, that'd be kind of cool, you know, to just meet them, if nothing else. I don't know if we'll actually take an investment from them. And we just really liked them a lot. Mm -hmm. And we were just like, okay, maybe we'll take, you know, a sort of medium sized investment. And so we did that early on. And then, you know, it's funny. I mean, it's probably a longer story, but like, we don't have any venture capital or private Mm -hmm. equity in the company. We've gone to individuals. There's a ton of Silicon Valley, um, people involved in the company as well as you know artists like you know John Legend's an investor his manager Ty is an investor like we've just we've really you know built our cap table with fans of the brand who Mm. really sort of fundamentally believe that health was a problem yeah right and that you know that hint was solving a problem for them or society as a whole and you know when it's we weren't even like selling the fact that we were raising money. They were coming to us and say, Hey, you know, would you, you know, be interested in being involved? And so we have people, I think probably the lowest investment that we've taken early on was like $10,000 all the way up to, you know, millions of dollars. And I feel like having those people that are just super passionate about the brand that aren't like sitting here, you know, trying to like, you know, micromanage your business in some way, but instead like, you know, we send everybody a couple of cases a month. They all Mm -hmm. like order more online as well, but there, there are, you know, 
influencers. There are advocates. They're really proud to like bring it to parties, you know, have put it in their kids' lunch boxes, whatever, yeah. put it in their companies. Um, and so I, we just kind of went that way instead of like the venture way. And I think early on, we probably would have taken money mm-hmm. um, from, you know, many companies around Stanford that, are, that were, you know, sort of the typical tech investors. But the other thing that I've learned about fundraising that, you know, really nobody told me, but I, I fundamentally believe this is that investors will not invest in your company if they don't believe they can add value. Mm. And, and a lot of them will not articulate that, right? They'll, they'll just be like, oh, it's not the right fit mm. or, you know, or, you know, whatever, like you're not big enough or, you know, the founders are married or you're too young or, you know, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, I think like the core thing is, is that, you know, if you're, if, if you're pitching and, and you don't think that you can sort of look at an analogy on their, you know, companies that they've invested in that is close to what you're pitching, Mm -hmm. then, you know, maybe you go have a coffee with those people just because I always feel like you learn in every single meeting. But when I hear entrepreneurs, um, and particularly female entrepreneurs that are, you know, meeting with somebody because they have a big venture, private equity, and they've never invested in seed round or mm-hmm. A round, or, you know, they've never invested in a beverage company or, you know, they've never invested in a pantyhose company or something, you know, like they just don't really know what to do with you, then, you know, don't give it any more than one meeting because it's just, it's at the end of the day, I don't know why these, these people like have more time than you do, but I, you know, to, to have those meetings and, you know, at times I've even told, you know, female entrepreneurs, like, I don't know, maybe they just want a lunch date and that's why they like want you, you know, to come and and do this. But I think at the end of the day, you have to sort of, your time is the most valuable thing. Mm -hmm. And especially as you, you know, if you want to have a family, if you want to, you know, do other things, right. Work out, whatever, whatever it is, like you have to really start to look at, you know, it, what are the possibilities and whether or not it's really worth, you know, bringing in that kind of money. Cause I think there's, there's lots of other ways of, of raising money and, yeah. and, um, you know, I can't say it's easy. People always ask, is it, you know, harder to raise money as a female? I mean, I've never been a guy, so I don't yeah. know, like raising money is just, it's hard. It's like, it's terrible. It's yeah. the worst. And it doesn't matter what stage you're at. Mm-hmm. I think it's just something that is just, um, it's, it's just a necessity, um, I think, for growing many, many businesses, um, mm. and especially as, if you have a business that's scaling. But I think it's something that um, there's a lot of different options for different types of investors, yeah. too. Yeah, that's really, it's really interesting, the approach you did. I love how you have people who are, you knew they're so passionate about it already. So I think that's very telling of the people you're surrounding yourself with, the people at Hint and everything else along with it. Um, I'm wondering, so it seems a lot of it that you've experienced with Hint for, since you founded it in 2005, it's a lot of it is like learning by doing and you're kind of just experimenting and the kind of learning lessons. Yeah. So I'm wondering as you've scaled to about 200 employees, as you said, how 
like, how has that experience been? And like, what were some challenges you faced that you really learned a lot? And yeah, like being a leader of a huge company, like, how has that been? Yeah, I mean, I think that the key thing is, is that, you know, you're always learning, yeah. right? And, and I think, you know, I always push on my employees um, to, you know, do something that I that I've learned just along the way, not only for myself, but watching other people is that, you know, I will not hire people in our company that I don't feel like I'm going to learn from, mm. which is sort of counter to what, uh, you know, what people think, right? Like, it's like, you want to hire people that you think will get a task done, right? Yeah. Or, you know, might be a good cultural fit, all that. But I think for me, it's like, I always want to know, like, I used to say to my employees, like, is she or he smarter than you, right? Yeah, is yeah. that like, and people would be like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, why would I hire somebody that was smarter than me? And it's like, first of all, like, I'm a huge believer that every manager should hire people that they're going to learn from, that know a little bit more than what they do. You can teach them skills on, you know, managing and sort of teach them what you know. But unless you're, like, working in an environment where, you know, where you're, like, learning, you're constantly learning, eventually you're going to get bored. Yeah. Right? You're going to be bored because you're going to be doing the same thing over mm -hmm. and over and over again. Yeah. Right? And I think that you know, going back to being an athlete, I, it's something else that I learned. It's like, it's part of teamwork, right? Mm -hmm. You have an appreciation, maybe not originally, like when you're first starting, you sit there and look at those people that you're playing with and you just kind of hate them because they're better than you, right? <laughs> and then after a while, you just realize yeah. that, hey, like I got something too and I want to work with people that mm. do this really well, right? And, and I think that's true for like all aspects of life, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you want to bring, you know, you want to be able to work with people that you, that you, you know, feel like they're bringing you up yeah. in, in ways too. And, and that you may never have the same skills. You may never learn everything that they do, but I think that that's such a key thing. And, and I, you know, really try and teach that mm -hmm. internally um, to people. Cause I think it's a little different aspect than what, you know, maybe other companies kind of emphasize, right? Like just because you're a manager, like I always, you know, I really think that that's something that, that you should be, you know, it's a goal, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's also, you know, you're going to be interviewing for jobs going out there. Like I always say to people that, you know, it's getting your foot in the door, but I think it's also kind of sharing, you know, understanding kind of where are the, you're interviewing for a job and like really understanding, like, what are your pain points? Like, what are the things that, you know, you wish you could get done? Like, mm. I mean, are there three priorities that you think like, you know, you would love to get done? And, and like, and I think that the, the ideal candidate will be able to, to say with confidence, like I, I can, I think I can get those things done, but then I can also do these other things. Like, you know, I've had, I mean, let's just say that you're getting hired to, you know, be a product manager, for example. And, you know, you understand that it's an entry level job that you're interviewing for. But then also maybe you highlight, you know, I remember I had this project in school and, yeah, you know, and the key exactly. thing that I learned about this was this. And, you know, and 
and the aspects that I didn't have, I was like willing to like, it was great because I worked with a team of people that actually had those aspects. So I learned a lot, but then I was also able to bring in, you know, my writing skills and my, you know, organizational skills and things like that to be able to sort of like sell yourself into those, you know, into making them recognize that you've got these other skills. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so I think it's so important. I I don't know who I heard this from, but very similar to what you said about hiring people who you can learn from but who are smarter than you because I think that's ultimately like you don't want to be the absolute best in a way. Like you want to be able to learn and and everyone contribute to each other. It doesn't have to be this hierarchical structure. So I think and that and it happens at every single age. I mean, the yeah. leaders that, you know, I I probably admire the most are the ones that you know, have people or had people on their teams that were just like rock stars. Right. And I think like, that's the, that's the key is that it's like, you know, you don't have to be, I also just don't think that you just have to be like a good manager. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, you have a good man, you're a good manager and you're really good at X, Yeah, but you know, you're, you're good at sort of recognizing your own strengths and weaknesses and Mm -hmm. you're recognizing you know, pulling those people together. But I think it's, it takes a unique candidate, um, you know, and sort of interviewing too, to be able to pull that kind of stuff, you know, out of a person interviewing you to say like, what are, what are the things that like you wish you had on the team? Right. I, I don't, I think that you don't have to like be like, Oh, I'm awesome at all of that. Like, I think it's just like, you know, of those three things, I think my biggest strength would be this. Mm-hmm. And here's like, and, and if the person says like, well, what is, you know, why do you think that? And, and then you can go into sort of an example, like, yeah. or, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, I don't think you, I don't think you ever would have like gone to play at, played soccer at Stanford if you didn't feel like there was just like an amazing group of, you know, people yeah. that were on that team, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, pretty quickly you figured out who had strengths and who had, you know, like you can call them weaknesses or challenges or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that's the thing, that you want you want to work in a team where you're constantly learning. And, and you know, I think it's the same thing for people once they get into a role too, that it's if you start to get bored and you start to to, you know, really like understand kind of what you're doing and you know maybe you allow yourself to not coast but sort of like be in that spot for a while but I think that you should constantly be challenging yourself and I think that that's what startups Mm -hmm. allow people to do that unfortunately if you I think that if you go into a large company you know right out of uh, right out of school and like a training program or something I think that there's some really good aspects to that, but so often you get kind of, once you end up even getting out of the training program, you get plugged into like, maybe it's accounting, for example. Like we have a guy who was in a training program that he ended up coming into Hint and he was in finance. And then what he realized is that he like he, he didn't aspire to be a CFO. Mm-hmm. Like the more he didn't know what a CFO really did when he was in school, yeah. but when he started like being in the workplace and kind of seeing it and seeing it in a large company and seeing it in a small company, he 
he just didn't want to do that with his life. But he thought like he had great skills and, and then it, actually he saw that my husband, who's our chief operating officer yeah. was, you know, doing a lot of stuff around supply chain that really needed a lot of analytics mm. and sort of like, you know, kind of, more um, what if scenarios. And so he just, he appreciated the puzzle. He appreciated mm. sort of, you know, that side of, of the business. And so, and he wanted to work for somebody that he was going to learn from. So he was able to actually shift from, you know, finance into supply chain yeah. with those skills. And, you know, he's been leading our supply chain now for a few years. And mm. uh, yeah, so yeah. I think it's like, I think at some point, you know, you find the people that you're going to learn from and that, that just never goes away. If you don't have somebody that you're learning from, mm. then, um, then I think it's probably okay to take a first job from somebody that you, you know, kind of feel like you'd like to work with and you'd learn from, but, yeah. you know, maybe thinking like your long-term plan is really to find that person internally that can kind of, you know, teach you, mentor you, however you want to, you know, yeah. do it. And then, and then have fun and work for a product that you think is like something that, you know, you want to tell your friends about that it's super cool and, you know, and that you love it and you believe in it. So yeah. I think like that's the key thing. Yeah. And that's, think that's great advice, for, especially for someone like me who's going to graduate soon. So yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah. So before we, honestly, I could ask you so many more questions. Yeah. So before we get to the fun questions, I do want to shift to your public speaker for so many, you've talked in front of so many crowds, big crowds, huge companies. I just, I'm interested, what do you, did you ever have a fear of public speaking? And for those who do, what do you, what would you tell them? Like, how do you get over that fear and kind of just go into yeah. it? So, I mean, I was always a pretty social person and I never wanted to public speak. Mm -hmm. I would not articulate that, but I remember having to, you know, even go up in front of, you know, a class in when I was in school and yeah. thinking, oh my God, like I would just be so nervous about it. And so, you know, the quick story on that was that I kept getting asked to come and speak and I thought you know, it's going to be really good for the company to mm. sort of get the word out about the company. And so I should probably go do it and just kind of, you know, put my big, big girl undies on and, you know, and just like go out there yeah. and do it. But I was, you know, super nervous about it. So I spent, you know, a couple months putting a pitch deck together, of like sort of what I was wanted to say and went out and did the presentation. And it was in front of, I think, 100 people. And mm. And it, and it went pretty well, but I remember like, I didn't want anybody I knew in the audience. Yeah. Like I was just like, in case I just make a complete ass of myself and, and, you know, and <laughs> like end up like, you know, freezing yeah. and then crying off the stage or something <laughs> like I didn't want anybody to know about it. Yeah. And so I, uh, but you know, I got through the presentation it went fine. And so I, I remember coming back to the office that day and I said, to, my husband was like, oh, how'd the presentation go? And I was like, you know, describing it just how I did to you. And he said, well, what do you think was like, what was making you the most nervous? Was it the people in the audience? I said, no, it was like, I felt like once I got there, the, the, um, the people that had asked me to speak were, they didn't really like 
take from, they didn't describe the audience the way that I would describe them. Mm. And so I felt like there were a lot more of these type of people. Like I, I did know a couple of people in the audience and they were more like these kind of people. And I felt like I was kind of wedded to this deck mm. that I had done because I had, you know, memorized this presentation and mm. I was just going to like flow with it. And it really wasn't sort of, I've always felt like I was pretty good at reading audiences. And so I just didn't have freedom to kind of go in and just kind of hang out and sort of, you know, talk a little bit and whatever. And I remember him saying to me, like, well, so why, why do you need to do a presentation? And I'm like, because you have to do a presentation. <laughs> like, that, that's what you do. Like, right. you're asked to present. And you have to. And he was like, well, can't you just get up there and sort of know what you're going to be talking about? And then you could sort of change your presentation along the way. I mean, maybe there's a few slides, but maybe not. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So the next week, actually, somebody had been in that audience and they called and they were like, hey, we, we were wondering if you do this, this talk. And um, I'm like, you know, I just don't have time to put a presentation together. And they're like, oh, there's, there's no presentation allowed. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, and they're like, yeah, you get up there for, there's like 400 people. It's, um, it's, uh, called, I think it was startup grind. You have to get up there and you talk about, you know, your company and for a half hour and, uh, yeah, there's no, there's no presentation. You need to go up and sort of tell your story and whatever. And I was like, okay, well, um, I guess so. And I remember the day that that came, I was so much more nervous for, mm. for going and doing that. Cause I thought like, I don't know these people, whatever. And then I got there, I got there about a half an hour early and I sort of like watched the audience and kind of was trying to sort of size up kind of who I was talking to. Yeah. And, uh, and then I got up there and it like, it was one of my best talks like mm -hmm. ever. And I, and I just, I loved it. I was free to do it. Mm -hmm. I knew my story, you know, backwards and forwards. And so I got back and of course I wouldn't allow anybody I knew to be in the audience yet. <laughs> And so I said to my husband, I was, I was like, he's like, how was this talk? I was like, it was so much better. And he's like, is it because you're getting more experience? I said, no, no, I think it was that I didn't have, uh, I didn't have slides. Like mm -hmm. I felt like I was so confined, you know, to the slide yeah. thing. And so, so, you know, since then I, people would call me and ask me to do a talk and a few people would say you have to have slides mm. and but most of the people I would say I'll do it um I'm free on those dates on you know the but I don't do slides mm. and uh and so it's funny because I've actually converted like entire conferences to no slides mm. because I really am a, such a huge believer when people go up there with slides so much of the time yeah it is like it's just not who they are. They mm. don't speak to, it's not like having a dialogue or a conversation. Yeah. It's, it's you. And, you know, over and over again, I mean, I think like the one thing that comes out of my talks is, you know, she's super authentic. Mm. She just like, you know, says like warts and all, you see exactly kind of what's happened, yeah. you know, and I generally know what I'm going to be talking about. And, you know, if there's, if there's a, you know, a talk on sort of building a company or there's a talk on fundraising or whatever, I always ask like two or three points to hit on. But, 
you know, people never really describe audiences the way that I would necessarily describe audiences. I wouldn't say like, oh, it's a bunch of undergrads from, from, you know, Stanford. Like for me, I would want it, like I would look and try and figure out like, there looks like there's a bunch of athletes in the room. Like, are they, you know, I'd ask at the beginning, like, you know, I never asked that question either, but I'm, you know, I've, I've had people, 500 people in the audience. And I'm like, how many, you know, how many have ever had a failed startup, mm, you know, and people, and it starts to break the ice because yeah. then people look around and say like, Oh, I'm not the only one here. Right. Or, you know, there's people like me and I, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to especially talk to you, but I'm going to come back to you mm. in a little bit. Like how many people think that they, um, that they can't, you know, raise a family while starting a company and, you know, have heard that and people yeah. like raise their hand. And again, like, it's just, I think it's being able to have like a dialogue mm. and then, you know, more and more people sort of realize that that's, you know, that's, that's what makes a great presentation, whether it's me or somebody else. It's yeah. like, it's just your ability to sort of like, you know, connect with the audience. And for me, I think it's just, I think that these PowerPoint presentations are just like, I don't know, maybe there's one or two slides that you like ultimately have to show sort of like, you know, a visual on, but ultimately I think it's just way better for everybody. Um, if, if you're actually telling your story yeah. and hitting on certain points. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of those points, just like the no slides and even talking to the audience, I think what you said, it like breaks that barrier of like the speaker versus audience. And like, it feels totally. like you're having, it almost, you kind of create this like one-on-one -on -one conversation in a way. And it, I think that's like probably what makes a presentation most yeah. effective. So no, I think it's, it's super, super huge. Yeah, so that's really cool. Yeah. So, Okay, so now to the more fun questions. We'll do two. For first, what's a passion or hobby that you have that's completely unrelated to your work? Passion or hobby? I mean, I I hike. Okay. Um, you know, I would say that for me, I I think it's something like I couldn't live without. Yeah. Like I I get out every day. Nice. Um, you know, and and that's, uh, I typically have my dogs, um, with me as well. But mm. for me, it's like, it's something that, you know, is really, really key. And even if I go and, you know, bike ride or do anything else for me, like a hike is just, is really, really critical. Yeah. So that's, nice. that's super key. I like that. And then for the last one. So what is a weird or fun talent that you have that no one else really knows about? And so I'll go first. Okay. So what I've been doing is, so I'm fairly good at throwing blueberries or grapes oh, into the so air funny. and catching them. And it's a little bit easier when someone else is throwing it to me, um, but it's only me here, so I'll do it. Okay, so we'll see so how funny. this goes. So here's a blueberry. All right. There we go. Wow. <laughs> and when did this start? You know, it's a good question. I'm not sure. When I was little, I guess I always just, like, liked to do it. And then, actually, in high school, I had a friend, and we would throw grapes to each other in lunch. And, like, I could throw, like, when I say I've thrown it, like, a pretty much like a basketball court, like, far distances into my mouth. Like, yeah, I don't really know how it started, but it's, it's a fun little talent. So, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. 
I don't know about a talent. I mean, I think people are all, I used to, uh, I, I, when I was really little, I used to twirl the baton. And so I still have my original baton and, and I still like take it out every once in a while. And people are like, how do you know how to do that? Like, it's like so crazy that you were like, yeah. And I was just, I didn't have time ultimately. Like Mm. I ended up focusing on gymnastics. So I just never did it. But I, there, you know, the fact that I like, I took private baton lessons. I was like super into like baton and stuff. So yeah. So I think it's just, I I mean, my kids in particular just like laugh when (laughs) I like run across it. I'm cleaning closets out and I run across it and they're just like, Oh my God, I cannot even believe that you're you know, that you've got your baton. So I love it. that's great. Yeah. That's so fun. Yeah. I think, you know, that, yeah, that's probably, um, that's probably the big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good so. one. Well, Kara, I've absolutely loved this and I've learned so much. So really thank you so much for well, coming. Thanks for reaching out, Carly. I really appreciate it.